you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or follow us on any of our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Live on Four Legs Podcast and on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Every show there's something that you just remember forever. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking camera in the truck. Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, the definitive live Pearl Jam podcast, and we're continuing on with Wrigley Month. Yes, we have probably in total about 10 episodes that we're going to get to you this month, and this is episode numero tres, and we have an awesome guest that we're going to get to in just a second. Until then, let's introduce you to the host of the show. I am Randy Sobel here, and that's John Farrar over there. Hello. And John, you will not be the only John in the room tonight <laughs> who... Do we have and that that was that was a joke that we made by the way. Yeah. Uh, who who do we have joining us this evening? So yeah, if you guys are familiar with uh, with Let's Play Two, the the DVD about the Wrigley shows from 2016, the Chicago Cubs, you might remember a moment when uh, when they talked to our guest. He was the first person in line. He was there four days in advance, and he had a little moment when. Uh, when they played release and Ed kind of called him out and uh, made, made reference to him. And he had a little moment at the show. We're going to be talking with John Evans today. Very excited to talk to John. And not only do we get his expertise on, on Pearl Jam in the moment, but he's also, he's a doctor that's been in the fights uh, within the COVID unit. So we get to kind of learn a little bit about that side. And uh, some of the details are just absolutely astounding. So if that's something that you might not be able to handle right now, then maybe the first couple minutes of this episode, maybe just shuffle and, and fast forward through uh, if if you're not interested in COVID conversation, because we do get to talking a little bit about uh, what he what he was doing on the front lines and, and couldn't thank him enough. He was, he was just spectacular when it came to that. But uh, the first thing that uh, we kind of we kind of missed an opportunity to record because we were just kind of casually talking, but we I started recording when we were talking about a picture that went viral of him and this was when he had on the mask and the lab coat and the Pearl Jam shirt and I asked him like you know did you did you know that what, what was going on and, and he said I, I didn't share in any groups I, I, I shared it to, to personal pages and, and people picked up on it and shared shared it everywhere else but really since that was shared, it was kind of even at a time where Gigaton came out, you know, the, 
the feeling amongst the Pearl Jam community was that there was just kind of despondence where, you know, people were feeling it and they were feeling just the the emptiness from what was going around in the world and, and seeing his photo, uh, you know, knowing that he was in the fight, knowing that he was representing us and representing the band in the fight. Like, I think that that brought a sense of pride to all that was going on around us. Yeah, I think people were looking for a positive story and like a sense of community and looking for something to hold on to that that they can latch on to and like, you know, ha- you know, ascribe some meaning to. And I think yeah, it was I remember seeing that picture myself, you know, when it came around like, "Oh yeah, I remember him." And yeah, it was it was great to talk to him and yeah, we we talk a lot about everything he's been through and a, a lot about the show it was fantastic conversation. I hope you guys enjoy. Yes, so we'll cut right in, and he's actually going to be talking a little bit about the uh, the photo here. So we'll get to everything. We'll get to release. We'll get to Wrigley, and uh, and even more stuff. So enjoy. We'll see you at the end. I was, you know, kind of uh, neck deep in in the COVID unit, um, and uh, you know things were pretty rough. And I um, happened to have it on, and <clears throat> I didn't have. Um, a shirt over the top of it. And I just, and I had, you know, that we were at that time, we were using this really thin disposable gowns. And I just, I kind of looked down, I saw it and I thought, you know, I'm wearing something Pearl Jam related, you know, for that, that guiding light, that guiding force, if you will. And, um, and during that particular day, it was just one of those really rough days. And, you know, we were doing, you know, the team was really, fighting and we're really battling hard um and so it just it kind of you know that whole fighting covid you know the pearl gem way um it just kind of clicked and so i took the photo um just to kind of represent you know and um it's a badass photo too by the way you got the goggles and the mask on yeah that that you're you're looking to terminate some diseases with for sure yeah it it became like an iconic thing yeah i and you know i'm i'm you know, I'm thrilled that it did, um, not for my own personal sake, um, but for, you know, frontline workers, not just healthcare workers, but, you know, everybody, you know, battling it on the front lines to say, you know, to, I guess, in an empowering kind of way, perhaps, but like um, awareness too, just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. just to say, you know, hey, look, you know, um, keep, you know, keep fighting the good fight, you know, hang on, hang on to what, you know, hang on to whatever is that um, motivates you and keeps you grounded and um, keeps you sane and um, uh, just keep fighting, you know, just keep fighting because, you you know, you're doing great things. And that same shirt that you were wearing is the same lettering. It's kind of like the Seattle Mariner, the old school Seattle Mariner. It's the same lettering of the hat that you were wearing on uh, the DVD on, on Let's Play 2. Yeah, yeah. So is that, does that have some significance too, or? Well, uh, I mean, it just, I love that hat. So it's kind of my, my, my hat that I, I, you know, wear uh, at, at the shows, but um, the shirt I had been looking for, I had been looking for, for a long, long time. Um, the hat I know is called the bandwagon hat. I think I'm pretty sure that uh, the hat's called the bandwagon hat. Um, and the shirt, might also be called bandwagon, but I think it actually has a different name. But anyway, I'd been looking for the shirt for a long, long time. I saw it you know, back when it first came out, and then for whatever reason, I'm just stupid. And I didn't, you know, pick one up. But um, I found one, you know, an authentic one, 
uh, a couple years ago. And um, I've been, you know, kind of wearing it ever since. But, you know, that whole, um, yeah, I, you know, that to me that the the bandwagon hat with, you know, kind of the, the mirror symbol, you know, the, the trident and the, it's, you know, there is a definite extra connection to the whole Seattle, you know, Pearl Jam, um, Seattle connection. So um, it is, it, you know, that hat especially is very, you know, meaningful to me, but, you know, the shirt has become uh, as meaningful since, you know, since I finally got one. So we were kind of off, uh, uh, before uh, uh, before we started recording, uh, you were kind of talking about fighting in the COVID unit, and uh, why don't you tell just everybody a little bit about you know what it was like doing that? Because I, you know I can imagine just uh, you know during that time you did it for two months. It just seems all kind of crazy. I mean, I'm sure you're not getting normal hours of your everyday life. Like you're you're really in the trenches battling this. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, that's, that's what it was like. Um, you know, um, I don't know, even really know how to describe it. It was, it was just unlike anything I've ever experienced, you know, but at the same time, it, it was exactly why I became a doctor in the first place, um, to provide care for people in moments of medical crisis, exactly why I want to become a doctor. But of course, I was, you know, I wasn't anticipating anything like that, uh, as I don't think anyone else was. Um, and I, you know, can even say to a large extent, I wasn't prepared for it, as I don't think anybody else was. But um, it was why it was so rough is because one, it hit like an avalanche or tidal wave, whatever metaphor you want to use. Immediately, yeah. But, um, and then, you know, uh, you know, most medicine now is, is evidence-based. And what that means is there are um, these rigorous um, testing protocols and, and retesting to um, try and figure out the best modality of treatment for a given thing. Or even, you know, the, the best diagnostic, you know, the best, the best plan. So um, you... Uh, and it's not to say that that fits for everybody, but you know, it, it it's it's been so stringently tested that it's it's pretty reliable. In the COVID unit, oh, um, you know, not just at our hospital, but you know, around the country, around the world, um, all that went out the window because there were no treatments for it, there were no guidelines, there were no protocols. Um, so, in in many regards, it was it was it was frightening. You know, it was daunting because um, all of a sudden you walk in and you're like, what do we do? You know, and, and there was no time to um, sit down and, you know, kind of read about it or think about it because you know, people are really, really sick and people are dying. And um, it was it was real, you know, fly, you know, or by the seat of your pants. So it was very much that. And um, but in an interesting way, um, it was. Again, with the evidence-based medicine, a lot of people, while it, while it works for most people, there are a lot of people who slip through the cracks. You know, evidence-based medicine will talk about data and statistics and that sort of thing. So they'll say, you know, for 85 or 90 percent of, you know, a given population with, you know, with regard to this particular uh, disease process, this is what you should do. But that still leaves room for 10 to 15 percent 
of the population of that given population to kind of slip through those cracks. And in the COVID unit, everybody was slipping through those cracks. You know, there wow. was no, so, but why it was interesting is because, is because you had to, you know, you go into a situation with, in anything, you know, not just medicine, but anything, you go into it with a certain knowledge base and skill set, and you apply that knowledge base and skill set to the task at hand. And um, with, with evidence-based medicine, a lot of times you kind of go on autopilot because the guidelines are, are it's like a recipe, if you will. Um, although not, you know, not exactly because there's still, you know, um, you still have to apply your medical reasoning and so on and so forth um, as you're going, as you're utilizing the guidelines. But when you go in and um, you just use your knowledge base and skill set, it, it, um, it became kind of the art of medicine that was almost tailored to each individual patient. It seems more instead of instead of making a recipe, I'm wondering if this analogy works. It's it's kind of like you're uh, solving a mystery almost. You're you're you know you're you're solving a crime or figuring out a crime or something like that. That's a you're that's picking a up great, clues yeah, where you can. A, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great a great analogy because yeah, you're looking for clues. You you know, and nothing makes sense until you start to uh, collect more and more clues and then the picture starts to, um, you know, uh, form. And then, you know, you start looking for suspects, uh, if you will, and then motivations and so on and so forth. And then you start to create that, that narrative, um, uh, until you can say, okay, yeah, this is the direction we need to go to find that person and so on and so forth and, uh, or, and or prove that they did it. Um, yeah, that's a great analogy. And that's what, and that's what it was like. And, um, so finally, as things started to piece together, we started to find better, more successful ways to, um, to, uh, treat people that, you know, those modalities seem to correlate to the best outcomes, you know, it, they weren't guaranteed by any means, but, um, and so as we started to apply those things more and more, we started to see more positive outcomes. And, um, so that was very reassuring, but, um, throughout that time, especially in the beginning, especially the first couple of weeks, first few weeks, it was, it was rough. I mean, you know, there were, nurses are some of the most uh, underrated, underappreciated people on the planet. Uh, they're their own entity. You know, I mean, uh, what people don't really realize, and I think a lot of doctors don't appreciate enough, is that it's not, um, it's not a linear hierarchy you know it's it's a round table it's a circle and mm -hmm. each component in that circle has to do its job and without each component the other components couldn't do their job so and i don't i per, this is my own personal feeling i don't feel that any one of those components is more important than any of the others but you know um nurses are some of the you know most intelligent uh, caring and toughest um people you ever meet i mean they they face some really rough stuff you know day in and day out and mm -hmm. you know you're seeing some of these veteran nurses who've seen you know seen and done it all that are breaking down in tears because either a they're just scared for their own lives or b they're so uh 
you know, emotionally struck by people suffering and dying or um, see they're so frustrated because, you know, they, you know, up until now they've been, you know, functioning and treating people. Now they can't. And I mean, doctors too. I mean, I was seeing it with doctors as well, but, um, and you know, that's very unsettling. Um, so, um, the whole thing was just, it was rough. And I remember, I remember early on, um, a lot of hospitals had what was called a hands-off, um, uh, code protocol. So if somebody coded, you know, where they required CPR or, um, you know, resuscitation, um, intubation, that sort of thing. Um, the initial component of that is, you know, CPR, chest compressions. And we had a, um, a no, uh, you know, hands-off uh, code policy because of um, when you're doing chest compressions, you're creating a lot of uh, aerosol, you know, aerosol and droplet um, uh, exposure to everybody in that room. Um and or if the doors open, then, you know, it's, it's going out in the hallway. So here you have someone who's, who's, you know, confirmed COVID positive, who's very, very sick, who then codes and you can't touch them. Um, so what we had, we had this this automated compression device, but, you know, invariably it was never close by to the you know person who coded because it, it just mm. comes out of the blue. Um, and so it was all, you know, management by medication you know uh, injecting you know medication to try and get their heart started again uh. except if your heart if your heart stops you're not circulating so when you inject it it's not going anywhere mm-hmm. um so i i mean i remember several uh, uh instances but this one that really struck with me or um stayed with me um was this guy he was you know um in this maybe early 50s an otherwise relatively healthy guy um uh but just was unlucky enough to, you know, come down with a, a really nasty case of, of um, COVID-19 and um, he coded and, 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 you know, everybody, you know, most patients have a code status. That is that they have determined when they come in uh, whether or not they want CPR because some patients don't, mm-hmm. um, you know, if they want um, to be intubated, some people don't put on a ventilator, so on and so forth, you know, um, life-saving drugs, that sort of thing. And this guy was full code, so he wanted everything. Um, and we couldn't touch him. And so I, we watched him die. Um, wow. Here's a guy who was full code, who, uh, you know, any other time probably wouldn't have coded. And then B, if he had coded, we could have at least tried. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, um, resuscitation is successful um, all the time. Uh, Just the not. attempt. Yeah, just to be able to make the attempt. You try, you know, and people do pull out of it, you know. But this guy, we just basically, I mean, we ran to get the, um, you know, the uh, automated compression device, tried tried um, administering um, drugs, but basically, you know, just watched him die. And it was just, you know, and that was just, again, one of several cases. And it, it you know, it's hard to not, it's hard to not have that affect you because um, it's so you just feel so helpless. Um, and yeah. then, you know, your heart goes out to that person and their family and, um, you know, the whole, uh, it was just, it was rough. Yeah. Talk a little bit about, yeah, just update us. Like we're in July now, we're in month four, month five of this thing. 
talk to us a little bit about just how you're doing. Like it's been a couple of months since, since anybody's checked in with, you You know, we had the, the photograph of you that kind of went viral and everything. So just talk a little bit about how you're doing, about what your days are like now, about what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. I understand, you know, we talked a little bit, I guess you're, you're not in the COVID unit right now, which we're all thankful for, but just, uh, just let us know how you're doing. I'm I'm doing better. Um, You know, I, I do go into the COVID unit a couple of days a week um, because, you know, our patients still, um, uh, you know, we still have patients there, um, but I'm mostly in, you know, the inpatient service or on the floors, uh, as it's called. And then I'm also in the clinic um, and um, but I'm, do, you know, I'm doing better, uh, you know, finally getting a little bit of time off um, so I can either, you know, kind of relax at home or, um, um, uh, you know, I, I like to camp and fish. So, I, you know, I have every once in a while I have a, you know, two days off on the weekend and I can, you know, go camping or something like that. But. Um, you know, I'm doing better. Um, and you know, I don't want to, I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to do the sympathy thing. I, you know, I, I signed up for it. Um, and I accept it. And, you know, I, I actually is, is, um, as difficult as that experience was, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. It, it, as odd as that's going to sound that I had that experience because it was deeply, deeply, meaningful. It's a very, very profound experience. And um, it confirmed why I wanted to be a doctor and that I was a good doctor and that I was doing things. Um, uh, you know, I was, I was helping people. Um, and it was, it was truly an honor and a privilege to um, um, serve in the COVID unit and treat those, those patients. Um, but, you know, moving forward, um, I, um, you know, uh, I'd come home, you know, after a long, long day and be, you know, completely wiped out, but I'd wake up, you know, refreshed and ready to go, uh, and face it again the next day. And now that I don't have that day in and day out, I, you know, my resilience, my, uh, energy levels, uh, if you will, um, have been replenished and, um, that's good. Yeah. And I feel, I'm feeling good. That's great. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, with every, I mean, just that one story that that you told, like, I can't imagine even going into work every day and, and just thinking that that could happen maybe three or four, four times in the day. So we really, you know, from, from everybody, we thank you for, you know, being on the front lines and, and doing this and, and, you know, just as much as you can, like it's, it's great. And, and like I said before, it brought a, a sense of pride to the Pearl Jam community to see that somebody that was one of us was fighting for us and with us you know, in, in this very difficult time. So, um, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, let's play two and, and what went down in Wrigley. So, um, so the whole, so the whole thing, you, you, it took you, so you, you, you took four days and you took four days before the show and you got there four days early before anybody got there. The Cubs were still playing games at Wrigley field, if I'm not mistaken, did you did you even did you even know where to line up? Like what what was what well, was the uh, uh, you know? Yes and no. Um, you know the um, you know the notification from Ten Club about you know where to line up and that sort of thing came out, and then they changed it a few times because there was um, uh, some construction. You know, with that new. Um, oh, that's right. They were building know, new, the the yeah, scoreboard and everything. The, right. Yeah, the, uh, businesses and or the. Um, you know, Cubs administration and so on and so forth. 
So that was being constructed. So we were supposed to line up at, at the at the entrance right next to that. Um, but then um, word came out that they thought maybe that was a little too dangerous to be next to that construction site. So they moved it, you know, moved us down. So I just went, this was, you know, I went to the original spot and, um, you know, just kind of plunked myself down and, um, and then moved later. But yeah, I, in that original spot, I think I sat through, um, I think it was three games. I think it was two day games and one night game. Um, <laughs> It's kind of cool, though. It, you get it to was. see the surrounding area, and you get to kind of see people going in and out of the the stadium, in and out of bars. Like you're you're kind of part of it, you know. Although you know you you, you can't give up your spot. Like you got to stay in your spot. Did you, did you want to catch a game during the time, or um, you know, I I would have loved to, um, I, but I I didn't want to give up my spot, but um. It was still, you know, it was fascinating to uh, watch it. You know, you know, the Wrigley Field and the the um, staff. It's a huge staff, um, but it's, I mean, it's a machine. It's like its own little city. It's wow. nonstop too. You know, in yeah. between in between games, you know, they have this around the corner down kind of down the street, this alleyway. They have several storage buildings where you know they keep all the refreshments and so on and so forth. So. You know these dollies; these dolly trucks are going back and forth constantly, replenishing stuff, and um, uh, you know just this this incredibly orchestrated machine that that takes place to get the game ready while the game's going on, and then cleanup. They have these um, uh, several um, uh, cleanup crews that go in. I could see over one of the walls; I could watch them in this one section. You know they have these like packs on their backs and one person has a vacuum and another person has the steam cleaner and they clean all the seats and stuff and in between games. And it was fascinating to watch and, you know, the crowd mingling around before and after the game and the excitement and listening to the game. It was, it was like watching the, or um, listening to a game on the radio. It was, it was really fun. Well, that, yeah. That sounds really cool stuff. Well, I'm curious as, as to what point did the next person show up? And then at what point did someone from the band come up and say, Hey, we we're gonna film you for this for this movie that we're making. Um, the it was uh, about I think two 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 and a half days into it that the next person showed up. It was my friend Barbie Porter. Um, she texted me and said, uh, "You know, I'm you know heading into Chicago," and I said, "Okay, I'm here. I'll wait for you." And um, so she came in, and then. Um, she and I, just the two of us for about, um, another day. Wow. Um, so maybe it was, it was about, it was right after the second day. So, cause we wow. were there just the two of us for, for about a full day and it was, and we moved, um, by that point, I think I'd already moved down to the other corner where we stayed, um, for the rest of the time. And while we were there, um, 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 Tim Donnelly, who's who's a producer, uh, worked with Danny Clinch. He came over and said, um, "Hey, we heard through, you know, the Cubs organization that there's this guy sitting out, you know, out here for a couple of days already, and you must be him. And um, would you mind if we talk to you a little bit?" And I said, "Sure, I'd love it." Um, you know, I had no idea what the whole thing was. It was just, I just you know they just came out and started talking, you know, and uh, they had brought a, a camera and, um, um, but yeah, I had no idea really what it was at that point. 
Um, so yeah, and they came out and then we started talking and, and one thing kind of led to another. We just kept talking and talking and talking. And um, uh, then later they said, you know, we'd like to come back, um, you know, and film it in line, um, you know, over the course of the next you know day, day and a half, um, leading up to the show. And then, um, you know, going into that, I, I had no, no idea that, you know, what took place in the show was going to take place. That was, you know, completely out of the blue and um, just, you know, just floored me. Um, and then after, after the first show, um, they wanted to know if I was going to stick around for the second show because they wanted to film some more. But I had, um, uh, you know, I kind of, Af this is, you know, obviously after, you know, everything that happened, um, and night one happened, um, I kind of told everybody at the time that I, you know, I just I had to get back and, you know, I had to get home because, you know, things were going on and so on and so forth. But it was, it was really that I just was, that brought up a lot of stuff. And um, I, I just needed, I felt it was coming on, you know, I felt it was kind of, you know, like this volcano that was ready to blow um, emotionally speaking and um, I just I needed to as much as I wanted to stay and go to the next show um, I just I I had to I had to um, leave I had to go home mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know on the on the on the way home actually I was just barely out of Chicago it it hit you know that volcano blew mm -hmm. and I just I remember just sobbing and screaming and pounding the steering wheel and and just, just screaming, just screaming at the top of my lungs. And, um, you know, it was, it, you know, I wish I, I wish I could say that it was, that was the cathartic thing. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, I was fine, but it really, it lasted for a long time. And I, I, I'm not, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very, very thankful, uh, very, very appreciative to have been included in that, you know, that, that, to have had that experience and to have been included in, um, you know, uh, Danny Klitsch's film. Um, and I, I can't think of enough for telling my story. Um, uh, not only because it was my story, but also, you know, I had so many people still to this day who, you know, either contact me or come up to me or whatever and say, you know, your story was my story. You know, our mm -hmm. stories are the same. And, you know, whether it was my dad, you know, or mom or best friend or brother or sister or whomever, um, you know, your story and my story are, are the same. And I felt, you know, they would say, you know, I felt that my story was told too. And I told that the, I finally had an opportunity to, um, uh, talk with Danny, um, after, you know, much later, it was actually at the home shows in 2018, um, in Seattle, I had an opportunity to talk with him and it was the first time I got to thank him, you know, in person. And, um, you know, after thanking him, uh, you know, profoundly, I really didn't have words to express how grateful I was. Um, I said, you know, I'm thankful also, too, for all the people whose story you told through me. And, yeah. Um, he said, you know, that's exactly why we told that story is because, you know, your story was compelling, but it was the story of a lot of other people. hundred um, percent. Right. So it was it was, you know, it was just it was it was a very profound um, experience that's continued to be um, on so many levels. And again, I'm, I'm, 
beyond words, beyond beyond having adequate words to truly describe it. I'm I'm grateful for, you know, having had it. Yeah, I, look, I mean, you said it all. Just I, when you think of people and fans' connection to the band, releases probably number one. And even for somebody like myself that hasn't had. Uh, a major loss in my life, especially not a parent or or a sibling or or a best friend, um, release is important for me because release was the first ever Pearl Jam song I ever I ever saw live. So seeing that same reaction, and I still get this way. Like I I, I mentioned on the last Wrigley episode that I didn't want to see release in 2013 because I never wanted it. Like I wanted that moment in time to stand still. I didn't want to relive that again because I I knew all the emotions that were going to come up. But, but man, every time, every time it hits, it's the one song, you know, that and Corduroy are the two like release gets you going emotionally. Corduroy gets you going, you know, physically and get you, get you singing and all that. But, oh yeah, I, I think, I think Danny, Danny was really onto something when he told that part of the fan story. I think he, he was absolutely looking for it. I think, yeah, I think you're right. Um, and, uh, and then I think, you know, as he's, he's said, you know, it kind of took on, um, you know, a life of its own that was perhaps a little bit unexpected. Um, I mean, the whole film did, you know, he talks about the, you know, the creation of the film and the making of the film, how it, it changed, um, you know, the life of the film changed several times throughout the, um, the making of it because of the, the, the further developments. Oh, the Cubs. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm interested in this. Do you, did, did you know from him, did, they plan to make this documentary just about just them playing Wrigley. And then it turned into, uh, you know, part partially about Ed's fandom and, and him spending time with Theo and uh, the Cub and finally the Cubs winning. Was that all not, you know, maybe if it happened, they were going to be on top of it or was that not in the game plan at all? Or is it just going to be another concert documentary? Um, originally it was going to, you know, primarily be a concert documentary, um, kind of like, you know, imagining Cornice was, mm-hmm. um, uh, obviously there's going to be, you know, a tie in with, you know, Chicago and the Cubs and everything. Um, but, uh, as he said, it, you know, it, it just completely took on, you know, uh, another life as the Cubs kept winning and winning and winning. And then when they finally won, um, uh, I remember going to, um, uh, I was lucky enough to be invited to the, you know, um, premiere of uh, the 10 club premiere of, you know, let's play two in Chicago at, um, you know, at Metro and, um, what a place to have that. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, right. Because that was the, you know, the first place that they played in Chicago and that was right. the stage. And I got to, I was lucky enough to be invited up on stand on the stage that they played on. And, and oh my God. the whole thing was, <laughs> the whole thing was totally mind blowing, just completely beyond, you know, you know, still trying to um, um, uh, take it all in, especially, you know, and then there was, there were a couple of scenes in the, in the uh, you know, movie where they showed him, you know, Pearl Jam playing on that stage. So it, the whole thing was just surreal. But um, uh, afterward, um, I went to a, um, I got to go to a, a Cubs game and um, uh, one of the 
other producers um, was sat next to me and um, he was saying that, you know, the first the first uh, cut of the film was much, much different than it ended up being. Um, and it was primarily, you know, uh, you know, uh, a concert documentary um, and the way, you know, um, the way it was told, you know, the way the story unfolded was, you know, much different. So in the documentary, you mentioned uh, the, was it uh, the show in Detroit? Was that 2014? 14, yeah. Okay. So talk about, talk about that moment a little bit, because man, that must've been right after things went down with your dad. And it, I, I couldn't imagine, you know, this and granted, you know, the documentary, I, I think that Danny probably had a little bit, he was probably in Ed's ear when he was saying, Hey, you might want to put in release in the set list tonight. Hint, hint, but Detroit, there's, there is none of that. It's, they're going based off of feel and it's kind of, you just got to hope and wait for magic. So that moment what was that moment like? Because that one, I'm sure, because it hits so close to home without the cameras being on you or anything like that. What what was that moment like? Um, that was that was a highly emotional moment because my dad had you know uh, died you know shortly before and um, you know not expect like you said you know that was just Ed uh, creating a set list the way he does, you know, uh, however he does that. Um, and, you know, when they, they came out and they opened with release, um, which, you know, you, you expressed it so beautifully. It's just, you know, it's that, it's just that, uh, indefinably special song that just hits you. Um, so for all that to come together, you know, my dad just recently dying and then, you know, being in, um, in Detroit, um, you know, I live, I live, uh, you know, north of uh, Detroit, but you know, like Detroit's when bands come in, Detroit's my hometown, you know, as sure. it were. and, um, to have that. And then, you know, for, for, to have them open with release, it just was this kind of perfect storm of, um, you know, emotion. And, um, it just, it just blew me away. I, um, you know, I, connected with the song in ways that I never had before. And I already, I would have, if you would have asked me, you know, how fully have you connected with, you know, release up to this point, I would said fully, you know, and every molecule in my body and then bam, that ha happened. And it was like, Oh, wait a minute. You know, there's this whole, there's a, you know, this universe of other level of connection now. And, um, and that, you know, when I was in the, in the, in Let's Play 2, when I was talking about that, um, I think, I think that was the defining moment. It, you know, became um, uh, not just, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, um, put thoughts in anybody's head or put words in anybody's mouth, but I think that was where it came, you know, it, be, it went from just, you know, this guy who sat out in front of the thing for, you know, four days to okay, I think we have a storyline to follow through on. Sure. Oh yeah. And, um, um, and then you know when they, uh, however they did it, you know, however whatever conversations took place between 
you know, uh, Tim Donnelly, Danny Clinch, and uh, uh, Eddie Vedder, and you know the band, the guys, um, to uh, have you know um, release, um, you know, be a part of the be part of the set list. Uh, however, that took place, um, you know, it uh, it just culminated in this that moment, you know, that um, just. I actually, when it was um, Tim Donnelly, again, he's the producer that um, was off camera interviewing me. Um, he came in, he came down and kind of like hunched down in front of me uh, about halfway through um, uh, the first song, which I believe was uh, um, Low Light. And, um, uh, and I kind of, you know, he kind of like, you know, nodded, nodded and smiled and kind of nodded and smiled at him. And, um, but I just thought he was just there. You know, I had no idea what was, you know, what was going to take place. And then when, you know, Ed said, is there a guy named John in the, um, uh, in the audience uh, or in the crowd, um, Tim started pointing at me to, you know, kind of like, you know, direct Ed's attention mm -hmm. and, and none of it registered, you know, the whole, I'd like, I'm looking around for like, Oh, Who's John? You know, and hey, there's what? lots of Johns here. J John yeah. over. I, I was yeah. the other yeah, John in this conversation. Fine, first, yeah. first baseline, but yeah. <laughs> so, and then you know, but Tim's pointing directly. He's he's, you know, his hand is six inches in front of me, pointing at me, and I'm thinking, well, who's he pointing at? It just it, it was just one of those things that was just it was not, um, it was just not registering. And then he kind of then when Ed kind of walked over and started you know kind of talking to me and pointing. Then it all hit, and then it was like, you know, um, just like, I mean, I don't have the words for it now. It was just, you know, um, I, I, you know, I'm getting choked up about it now thinking about it. It just, it was this, this gesture, you know, of, uh, you know, Ed coming from a place of his own emotional storms, you know, about his dad and, you know, in my, uh, um, my own, um, uh, things going on with my dad. And, uh, um, it was all of us connecting and it was, you know, Pearl Jam and me connecting and it was Ed and me connecting. And, yeah. um, it was, uh, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't have, you know, I don't have, um, words to uh, to really describe it. Um, was there a moment in the song, in the performance, where, like, or were you, were you just so uh, just taken taken away by it that um, maybe you didn't recognize it? But did you, did you and Ed have a connection? Did he did he look at you face to face? Because you said Tim was directing him to where you were, but did he was was it almost like it was one on one where he you were the only person in the audience he was singing to almost? Um, to yeah, I mean when he when he was talking about you know me uh, waiting um, you know in line for a couple of days, he was looking right at me um, and pointing right at me and. Um, then there were several moments during the song where he was looking right at me and singing right to me. Um, uh, and then, you know, he, um, he changed the line, um, 
uh, in, I believe it was the second verse, he changed the line to, um, uh, oh, dear dad, can you see John now? Wow. That blew me absolutely away. I, I lost it. Um, and then at the very beginning, when, you know, the crowd started singing, you know, when he said, you know, you know, help me, help me, you know, let's sing to John. He's going through some stuff. Let's help him out. And then the, the crowd came in and you had, you know, you had, you know, 60,000 people singing, you know, the opening of release totally just devastated me. Um, so there were many, many moments. Um, but, um, yeah, I did, I did feel, um, that I was at times part of this gigantic, you know, mass of people, this, you know, this incredible energy, this incredible wave of humanity. But then there were several moments where I felt like it was just, you know, Ed and me, you know, where he was, we were just connecting. Yeah. Which made it all the more special. Um, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm still, I'm still just blown away by it. I mean, to, you know, John and I have both been on the rail. John has been, been on the rail for multiple shows. I, I've done it once, but to even get a pick to be thrown your way is what's might be seemingly impossible sometimes, but to have that connection one-on-one with Ed while, you know, especially during a song like that, I mean, it's just, it's, absolutely mind-blowing so i'm i'm actually i'm curious you know you're, you're front of the line you're you're your first one in you you run in all the way to get to get to the rail what's your spot uh are you a mic or a stone side or are you I'm, right I, right smack I, in the middle um, i uh if you know if i'm gonna have my preference i like to be um uh in front of ed about maybe like three feet three or four feet towards stone. Okay. Um, I just, I think it's a great view of the stage. You know, you got Ed right there, stone right there. You've got a great view of boom. You see Mike or um, Matt over his shoulder mm-hmm. you got Jeff right there. And then over here, you got Mike. And um, so it's just a great view of the stage. I, I mean, I've been, I've been way over on stone side. I've been past stone side. I've been over on Mike's side. I've been in front of Jeff. They're all great views, but that one's just kind of the spot that I like. And, you know, I've had, I've been fortunate to have been in that spot, um, uh, a few times and, and a few times prior to, um, uh, that show where I had, um, several moments of connection with Ed. I mean, you know, that's the great thing about all those guys, you know, they really try and connect with the, you know, the, the crowd. And, um, but I had several moments of just very fleeting brief, you know, direct eye to eye contact with Ed during, you know, different songs. And, um, it just, I don't know, it's a great, um, it's a great experience or, you know, a great feeling when you have that because it, you feel like, uh, you know, he of course isn't, but he, it's like, he's seeking you out or at the very least he's seeking people out to connect with. Yeah. Um, because to me, that's, you know, honestly, that's what the live performance is about. You know, I mean, that's why we don't just merely, um, you know, sit in our living rooms and, and listen to, you know, uh, you know, their records or CDs or, you know, um, digital downloads. And that's why they don't, you know, just play at home or in the studio or whatever, you know, the whole, the whole, um, point of a live performance is to have that connection between band and 
audience and band members and audience members. And to me, the more you connect, the more you realize the ultimate potential of the live performance, obviously within limits. I mean, you know, I think, you know, jumping up and running up on stage is too much, but um, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I mean, the more you, the more they can connect with you, the more you connect with them, that's what it's all about. And um, uh, so, yeah, anytime that, even if it's just for a brief thing, you know, a brief second, a uh, brief little, you know, smile, wave, direct eye contact during a song. Um, it just, it's really, really special. And well, there's a moment where I kind of like reached out my hand, like to kind of, you know, like in a, had my arm extended and my fist extended, um, like in a, you know, connection kind of a way. Mm-hmm. And Ed kind I of, I think that shot was in, was that shot in the, the movie? I can't remember. I feel like it was, I think so. Um, because I, I think it was because I've seen I've seen a still photo of it and um, it looks like the same it came from the same camera that was filming mm-hmm. at that time. Um, but uh, Ed did the same thing. Um, and then after when you know when the show is over, um, he happened to be um, kind of walking across the stage in front of me. He was, he was I think he was still hanging, tossing out pictures, something like that. And I just I yelled out Ed and he looked right at me and I put my hand out again and he put his out we kind of did like an air fist bump um and that was that was a really special moment too now you mentioned you you were there with a friend do you remember the reaction of any people around you when it was happening or afterwards was there like kind of a a swell in the crowd did you get like a lot of pats on the back or anything do you remember like the reaction from the people around you anything specific um i you know for the for the first uh several moments afterward um i'm not sure that i really remember a whole lot sure um but Mm -hmm. after that yeah i had you know people were you know hugging me or patting me on the back um or you know shaking hands and um um you know there was a sense of and i'm hugging everybody it was just one of those you know you're kind of like crying blubbering love fest you know everybody's just you know the world is a great place at that moment and um uh yeah, there's. A, I just. I felt. I felt really connected with everybody. Um, you know, from that point on, that it was just this incredible um, that we all experienced it. it. Wasn't just you know my thing that we all experienced it um, and uh, connected with it in our own you know our own individual ways, which I love. I love that. You know, I, I um, as I was mentioning, you know, I've had people. A lot of people um, come up to me and say how, you know, they, they were either there and, um, uh, you know, they hadn't lost anybody close to them. But, you know, it still was a uh, incredibly moving experience for them. Um, and then the people who had lost loved ones who was, you know, an incredibly moving experience. Um, the more I learned about that, the more I loved that experience, that it wasn't just mine, that it was this, you know, this big universal experience um it just it made it 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 made it special on a much deeper um deeper level well you're forever synonymous with with the song now you 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 are forever connected with the song it's a moment that's forever etched in the pearl jam lore and pearl jam history and like you said it, it it defines it defines what 
why we go out and seek them, why we drive hours from our home or fly or, you know, whatever pilgrimage that we decide to do and wait a couple of days or a couple hours to, to just, to just get a moment, to just get a moment like this. We talk about these moments all the time and how special they are. And, and, you know, if, if there was any moment that this is, this is the ultimate fan moment, I, I can't think of any other moment to experience but you're forever connected with the song what about the rest of the show so um you know it it happens the song happens and they go through a little bit more of the set they couple they do a couple more of the slow songs if uh if i'm not mistaken then they they bust out last exits and, and lightning bolts and stuff like that so what uh what were some of your other favorite moments from the show um uh well i mean the whole for me the whole you know um, the whole show, any show, the whole show is my favorite moment. I, I, I don't, um, you know, I go, I go into a, any show, um, just with open arms, you know, whatever, whatever transpires, um, you know, I don't have, you don't have checklists and, no, and, yeah, I uh, and I respect people who have that. I think it's fun, but I, I just don't, I, I go into it with, you know, I'm, I'm here for this experience of what it is. It is. And, um, and I love it. Um, but when, uh, you know, they brought, um, um, you know, um, some of the relatives, um, of, uh, players up and, you know, they sang, um, mm. you know, um, um, all the way. Yeah. All the way. Um, that was a great, I love that moment. Yeah. That's Eddie's favorite player, Jose Cardinal. Yeah. Um, and, um, it just must've felt like you were floating the whole rest of the show. It really, it really, it really, I, I, that's exactly how I felt. Um, I, you know, and I'm not, I'm also not one where I, uh, like I remember for lack of a better word, facts about a show. You know, there are a lot of times I'll, I'll leave a show and I can't remember what the set list was, but I have, I have just thousands of little emotional memories uh, very specific, you know, things that I picked up or connected with, and and that's what I walk away with, you know, for with the show. I, you know, you could bring up, you could mention a show, and I, uh, you know, blah blah blah, in whatever city on whatever date, and I'd be like, I don't even know what the set list was, but I was there, and I remember this, and I remember this, and I remember this, and I remember Ed did this, and I remember Jeff did this, and, and that's that's what I connect with and and take away, and um, it's, you know, to to paraphrase the you know the lyrics, I don't. I don't think Pearl Jam, you know, I feel Pearl Jam. Mm. Um, it's, it's a very emotional, visceral thing for me. And again, you know, kudos, peace on earth to anybody who, you know, does the stat trackers and, you know, checking off their songs and uh, we're guilty, but I think it's awesome um, because that's your bliss. You know, that's your thing. And sure. if, you, if you get joy from that, that's fantastic. And, I'm not saying one way is right or wrong. One way is better than the other. I'm just, it's, that's my thing, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, the rest of that show was just this high, you know, just an emotional high for the, um, rest of it. But I, I, you know, since listened to, um, you know, the soundtrack, I love it. And, um, I've watched let's play two um, a couple of times. I, I still kind of skip over my part. Uh, I haven't, I, I saw that 
when I went to the premiere, I, I got to see all three screenings of it that, you know, over the course of those two days. Um, and I haven't watched my part since. Um, I, I'm sure that I will uh, again one someday, but I just yeah. haven't. Um, I mean, but I love the, I love the rest of it. It, yeah. it. it can't compare to that memory, though. Yeah. Right. So, but um, the rest of it I love, and I've, I've watched, you know, the rest of it, uh, you know, many times, and I love it. All right. So, I mean, thank you for, for coming on and uh, sharing your story. I mean, this is a story that everybody in the community knows and really it, it is a symbol of pride for us. And I, I just, on behalf of everybody listening, just, you know, thank you for being that person that if somebody's watching let's play two with with uh, a spouse or a sibling or a friend that doesn't understand pearl jam i think that you put the perspective you put it in perspective perfectly uh that you know anybody from the outside looking in can understand just by seeing your story in that documentary and they, they'd be able to feel it so just thank you again for you know the dedication going out there to spend all that time and and uh it i mean we didn't even ask you what the bathroom situation was like i'm sure it was probably i, I, look, I look i had to get a little creative i i will say <laughs> that I, I did not i did not urinate in public or on the street one time I did, I did find bathrooms, but um, yeah, that was a little bit, that was a little bit tricky. I just think it's cool. I would have loved to have heard that conversation between, you know, Danny Clencher, the producers in the band, when they get, they get to the venue and the, the representative from the Cubs is like, there's a guy that's been out here for a couple of days. Do you know what's going on with that? And I, you I had the sign that said Pearl Jam that, that was right on. Yeah that was right on your chair. So everybody knew that that's what you were there for, which was, which was smart. Right from the get go. Um, and it was funny that you mentioned that because there were a lot of people, um, who did that. Well, there were, you know, several, several, like the security guards and the people who worked, um, at Wrigley, um, did that, you know, they would come up and say, Hey, Hey, I heard, I heard there was this guy sitting out. Are you the guy? Um, and I happened to be sitting in front of, you know, on the sidewalk in front of um, the fire station. And I feel like a complete idiot that I can't remember what station it is, but it's that famous station right across from Ridley Field, like a moron. I can't remember what it is right now, but they were really, really nice. In fact, I asked them permission. I said, do you mind, you know, if I, you know, sit out here, um, uh, you know, on the sidewalk, you know, I, I promise I won't get in the way, but several times they came out, uh, a couple of them, you know, brought me water and the um, the uh, captain of the station came over and said, "Hey, I heard you know there's this guy sitting out here. I just want to come shake your hand." And I thought you know that's incredibly nice. And um, but uh, yeah, and I can't even tell you how many people, and I suppose rightly so, came up and said, "You know, you do know that the you know the concert's not for four days from now, right?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, I know, but I don't know what to tell it, you." But, it's part of it's 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 part of the pilgrimage. It's part of you know making a an event out of it, and and the Wrigley shows. You know, we talked about it with 2013 this past week. It it it's a spectacle just as much it is, as it is a concert, and and you want to be there for every single moment. And uh, you know, if if anybody had 
any moments from the show that that you had all of them. <laughs> I, I give them I give them all to you. So That's the once again, uh, absolutely. So once again, thanks for coming on, telling your story. This is yeah, an important you. important uh, month for us doing all the Wrigley shows, and and this is definitely a story that we wanted told. So uh, thanks again. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to. Uh, talk about it and talk with you guys. Uh, I love the show and um, I'm, I'm uh, you know, proud to be a part of it. So thank you very much. So thanks again for Dr. John Evans joining us today. And, and boy, were those some fantastic stories. It's like we kind of, you know, we kind of grew with him with that DVD. When, when we, when we watched the movie, we, we felt what he was going through and we kind of know like you've been on the rail before you've waited, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, 24 hours for a show to begin and, and to get to that moment. And, uh, you know, and so many people, like we've said, have had that personal moment with release and that that's why it really part of that was the big part of the movie that really attached the fans to the band. And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't think thank him enough for for just being a part of that. It, it was it was really something special. Oh yeah, screw the Cubs. The best part of that movie is the look on his face when he realizes what's happening. Like it's all captured on there. And he, he mentioned, you know, he he hasn't gone back and watched it. Uh, he he said he will at some point. But oh yeah, it's 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 a fantastic. I mean, you talk about. You know, the reason we do this show is because every show has moments like that where yeah. it's a moment with the crowd or a moment with the band. And like we said, like he has the ultimate moment, you know, like it, that was that was the one he got it documented. But yeah, I mean, I, I can right picture it in my head right now. The, that's the one thing you take away from watching that for me is just the look on his face when when he realizes what's happening and when they when they call him out on stage. And oh, yeah, so special. And it, yeah, it was great to get to talk to him. I hope, yeah. yeah, I do hope we get to have him back when they after we get these shows back. Absolutely, and we hope that he's safe during uh, the you know Definitely. the the rest of our fight with with COVID. And and again, he said that he was in and out of the trenches a little bit. So you know, we we, we just hope we just hope everybody everybody is safe and and that all of our numbers go down and and you know and, and hopefully we'll be there at some point. But you know, off off recording, he did say wear your goddamn masks. Wear your masks, people. Even the people, even the people, and this this was very important, the people that were wearing masks that now that phases have started and places have started to reopen, they've said, okay, I'm not wearing, I'm I'm done wearing a mask because, you know, we're we're over that. We're not. That was the big takeaway from that. Keep wearing your mask. Keep uh, staying six feet away. Keep social distancing. And, uh, listen to your doctors people so again we thank him for coming on and and you know with with everything just wise wise words and uh very much needed right now so we continue on wrigley week tomorrow and i think while last week was both buckley and i's story tomorrow is going to be your story john yeah i have you so many little, good stories from these shows like it was a little bit of a moment it was, fantastic. To shine. It was kind of the first like my first destination show so uh yeah it'll be fun i'm looking forward to it yeah absolutely and if you guys are still looking to write in to us and get us your wrigley stories live on four podcast at gmail.com we're still taking them we'll be taking them up until the last minute up until we record them and we have a lot so far and you know what 
tell us a good story. It doesn't have to be short. It doesn't have to be long. Whatever it is, we'll take it. And as long as it's a good story and as long as you're passionate about it and you survived, uh, you know, some great moments and, and felt the same kind of things that John felt, then we're going to, we're going to tell them. So, uh, definitely hit us up live on four legs podcast at gmail.com. And then, uh, we'll get that to you. That'll be one of the last episodes that we do this month. But, uh, anything else, uh, you can head on over to patreoncom slash live on four legs. We just released an immortality evolution episode. What is an evolution episode? John, would, would you explain that to the people? It's where we like take a deep dive into a specific song. Like we do these we do these regular episodes and we we talk about the songs and the set list. But an evolution episode gives us a chance to really focus on one song and how it's changed over the years and what they've done with it and kind of highlight certain performances that were special and and really really get into the get into the weeds about a certain song. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely, and I think Immortality might be one of our best ones that we've done so far. I, there have been a lot of good ones, but uh, this one, man, we get real deep onto it. We have, you know, Kurt stuff. We have Mike stuff. We have Jack stuff. We we have we tackled just about everything. So, if that's something that you're interested in, head on over to Patreon.com/slash Live on Four Legs. And what we're doing this month, if we can get to 50 patrons this month we are going to be giving away a special gift. And, uh, you know, I, I think Dr. John Evans would be proud of us for giving away this kind of gift. So that's a little bit of hint to you people. So if you're interested in that, head on over to Live on Four Legs on Patreon. So with that being said, we thank everybody for listening in today and check out tomorrow's Wrigley uh, Night One 2016 episode. And uh, we will talk to you then. Yep, thanks, everybody. Be safe. The last time felt like a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And then when the lightning hit, I was hoping it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. But nature's working with us tonight. I think it's, uh, we've earned it. We've earned it. Is there a guy named John in the front? Where's John? I just want to point out someone here in front because he was the first guy in line two days ago. Four days ago. want to be in front for this song because it meant a lot to him and he's just gone through some stuff and we're going to help him out and we're going to
Wow. 